1 Samuel chapter 25, looking at the first 22 verses here this morning. And um, this comes a time when David has now had to flee from Saul. Saul is completely paranoid and has gone mad. He believes that David's going to try to overthrow his kingdom, which was the furthest thing from the truth. And he actually is taken an army to chase David. And he chased him. Uh, as he was chasing him, David and his men were hiding in a cave. Saul by himself came into that cave. And David did not raise his hand against Saul. He did cut the corner of his garment to let him know. I could have. And then David was so grieved that he had touched the Lord's anointed, even the tip of his garment, that he, when Saul was a distance away, he apologized and repented. And, and Saul said, no, 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 I'm the one that needs to repent. I've come at you in an evil way, but yet you've treated me in a loving way. And then Saul says, God's going to reward you for this. And there at the end of chapter 24 of 1 Samuel, he says in verse 20, Now I know indeed that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. I look at the quality of your character. I look at who you are as a man of God. And I realize that God's hand is truly on you. And you are going to be everything Samuel prophesied you to be. Everything all the people are singing about you to be. You really are that man through and through. And God's going to raise you up and God's going to do it. But nevertheless, Saul's repentance would be short-lived. And David would have to continue to flee like a criminal out in the caves. He was not a criminal. He was a righteous man. But yet he was having to live as a fugitive from the crazy king Saul. And during that time, there's a lot of things that David missed out on. One of them is found there in 1 Samuel 25, verse 1. And Samuel died. And the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him as it, at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Samuel was truly an extraordinarily godly man, an amazing man. He accomplished so much in his lifetime. He was the last of the judges. During that period of the time of the judges, Samuel was the last judge, and he became more than a judge. He was a prophet. And how many times the people leaned upon his prophecies, and they leaned upon his communion with God, and how, what, a, what a strength he was to the entire nation, and what a great loss this is now. But even godly men cannot escape the curse that was given to Adam and Eve. In the day you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. And everything from Adam and Eve to everything that they gave birth to and on to this day is cursed with that curse of death. And, and as godly as Samuel was, he could not escape that fate, that faith that all men uh, experience unless the Lord raptures us away. In Psalms 116, verse 15, it says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. No doubt what a great gain it was to the Lord to have the communion face-to-face with Samuel. But what a great loss it was for the nation. Yesterday we had a funeral for a dear sister in our church, Dolores Ballin. And in the same way, what a godly influence she's been. And what a great loss it is for us. But what a great gain for the Lord. And Samuel died. Even godly men die. Godly women die. And so he did. But notice what else it says. 
it says, and David arose. Isn't it always radical how God works? God is always working with men. And as one man is now out of the way, no longer able to be used, but yet God raises up another man in his place. The anointing that was upon Samuel is now placed upon David. The things that God did through Samuel, now God can do through this godly man, David. And of course, as almost always, some of the greatest leaders are appreciated little by their leaders. After their death, they say, wow, he was a great leader. During his lifetime, they gave him nothing but hassle. And we see that with Samuel. He was completely unappreciated. The people came and said, oh, you know, you're doing an okay job, Samuel. We really want a king like all the other nations. And how it grieved Samuel and how he knew that wasn't the Lord's will. And and they weren't going to back down. And God said, I'm going to give them a king. They're going to regret it, but I'm going to give it to them if that's what you want. And Samuel said, you know what? The whole nation has now taken a turn for the worse. But for me, I'm not going to sin by not praying for you. I'm going to continue to pray for you. And so I'm not going to be a part of your sin and I'm not going to be brought down to your level. But I am not going to be reactionary and not be a person of prayer, but I'm going to continue to pray for you. And Samuel, in his lifetime, we learn in 1 Chronicles 9.22 that he laid the foundation of the organization of the Levites. In 1 Chronicles 26.27.28, it tells us that he began the collection of the treasury, which would be for the building of the temple. In 2 Chronicles 35.18, Samuel helped the people remember the Passover and remember how God had brought them out of Egypt. And uh, in Samuel, or in Psalms 99, verse 6, and Jeremiah 15, 1, we learn that he was a great man of intercession. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 33, mentions Samuel in the hall of faith. He doesn't go into detail in Samuel's life, but he said he's one that's worthy to be talked about, and truly he was a man of faith. Now, Samuel's an unusual story, because although he died, we actually hear from him again. There's a crazy story in chapter 28 where Saul, again in his insanity, goes to the witch of Endor to call up the spirit of Samuel to get a read on what was going to happen in the next battle. And God in his grace did not let this witch call up her familiar spirit who would impersonate Samuel, but actually allowed Samuel to come and freak the witch out. And of course, if God's going to speak to somebody who's gone to a witch, you can imagine it's not going to be good. And uh, he didn't have any good news for him whatsoever. But uh, we do actually get to hear the voice of Samuel one more time, even after his death. Uh, Crazy story. Well, in verse 2, now there was a man in uh, Maon. Now, Maon is the same as Paran, where David had gone in the same area whose business was in Carmel. And the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. And the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding, beautiful of appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. Um, First of all, it tells us that this guy Nabal was rich. Now, when we talk about somebody being rich, you've got to ask, what in what way are you talking about? And here it goes on to tell us financially, which is really the least of all riches. 
People often think that riches uh, will bring them satisfaction. And, and it's just a carrot that Satan often dangles. Uh, but once you get that carrot, you're just as empty. And you've got a world of other problems. And a matter of fact, the Bible makes it very clear. It's hard for a rich man to continue to have faith in James. The poor have faith. The rich begin to chuck faith because they don't have to trust in God. they got money. Also, there's a lack of character that can develop. And Jesus said that a, a rich man getting to heaven is like trying to get a camel through the eye of a needle. And uh, also, Jesus makes it clear that our life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. But what are some good riches? Good riches in what you do. Good riches in what you know. Good riches in a godly character. Those things are true riches, lasting riches. But this guy was a wealthy man simply financially. And he was shearing his sheep. This is like the harvest time for the farmer. And, of course, he had 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats. That's a lot of shearing going on here. And so what it would be is like a sort of a continual family reunion, a big party. All the family will show up and help shear. Everybody in those days knew how to uh, do a lot of things, and one of those would be shearing sheep. And, of course, everybody who in any way had a part of your success, part-time employees, full-time, the guy who sold you feed and Anybody and everybody else, they all sort of show up and just hang out until however long it takes. And they eat and they drink and they party and all the kids uh, play. And it's just a, a festive time. And you didn't necessarily have to be invited. If you know the guy and you wanted to be a part of it and you've been sort of connected to him, a neighbor maybe, or like you say, somebody guy who, you know, the Coca-Cola truck came up or whatever, uh, you can show up and just be a part of it uh, here at this time. And... Um, However, the Bible specifies his name. Now, a lot of times the Bible will mention names, and we don't necessarily look at what their names mean. But when the Bible specifies his name is something, then you want to take a look and say, well, what does his name mean? Because in these days, they name somebody after an attribute of theirs. And so when you heard somebody's name, it was actually describing their character and who they were. And unfortunately... Uh, Nabal's name means a fool. And uh, so I'm sure that they, his dad said, you fool, or whatever, I don't know, it caught on. And uh, it tells us that he was a harsh and an evil man. And then he was of the house of Caleb. Now, historically, Caleb was this radical man of faith. Him and Joshua stood firm, even though the other ten spies were Uh, had no faith. He had faith. And later on, even in in his 80s, he said, I'm as strong now as I was when I was 40. Give me the mountain with the giants. I want to go. He was this radical man of faith. But that's really not what this is referring to. It's referring to Caleb, the name of Caleb. A matter of fact, uh, the Greek Septuagint doesn't even quote the name Caleb. He just quotes what Caleb means. Because the name Caleb means dog. And so the Septuagint quotes it, he was a doggish man. (laughs) Or he was the house of a bunch of dogs. We would say today he was raised by wolves. Or, you know, he's a pig of a man. That's what we would have said. And this is what it's saying. He was harsh man, evil, and he was a house, he was from the house of a bunch of dogs. He was just a a man who had been raised in a, a crude, crass way. And that was his mannerisms to that day. On the other side, Abigail. It tells us here that she was beautiful in appearance. 
There's only two other times outside of this that this word is used. It's used for Rachel in Genesis 29.7, and it's used for Esther in Esther 2.7. She was one of three people in the Bible that says outwardly she had an amazing beauty. Inwardly as well, because the name Abigail, Ab, Abi, Abba, that's the very first word in the Hebrew dictionary. It's um, father, Abba, father. And then Gael means the beautiful one. Or, uh, excuse me, the one of great joy, the one that brings great joy. So she's one that brings great joy to her father. So she had this credible character of bringing a great joy to her father. And physically she was beautiful. So you wonder, how in the world did these two ever get paired up? Well, remember, they had arranged marriages. And her dad saw this beautiful gal that was the joy of his life and and just said, you know, I, I don't want her to marry a, a poor guy who's going to be struggling and she's going to be out there toiling in the field and, and the heat of the day and her hands getting blistered. And, and I don't want that. I want her to have a, a life of ease. And, and so there's really one major criteria, and that's that she is married to this rich man. And so she was. She was in a rich household and with a... She was a rich lady. But unfortunately, her dad didn't take more stock in richness of character. Because she was a woman, although she had financial wealth, she was plagued with a foolish, evil, harsh man. And I might say to you gals that are single here today, look for a rich man in godliness and character. Okay, money comes and goes. And the Bible says God makes the rich and God makes the poor alike. Paul says, I've been poor, I've been rich, and all things I can learn to be, I've learned to be content. You can learn to be content, but you'll be happy with a godly man who loves the Lord as much as you, or better yet, a thousand times more than you do. But get a guy whose eyes are upon the Lord and they never will leave the Lord. And you will be happy. You may not be rich, but you'll be happy. And you'll be blessed. And you'll find out those are some of the greatest riches to have in your household. And for you Abigails that are already married to Enable, which is probably about 90%, you know, us guys always talk about that. You know, it's like you look at him going, how did a jerk like you get a wife like that? Man, you better be glad love is blind. And, uh, but, you know, gals, don't seek to be separated from your husband. In 1 Corinthians 7.10, it says, Now to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband. And in 1 Corinthians 7.27, Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. So, the Bible makes it clear, you Abigails, hang in there. God will work even in your navel situation. As we end this story, we're going to see that God was well aware of Abigail's plight. And God was giving time for Nabal to grow and to change. And when he didn't, God took care of the situation. And... 
There's a lot of guys who are thankful for their Abigail wives. And they have grown out of their neighborhood. Even though it took them 30 or 40 years, um, they finally, you know, the wife did a good job raising her husband. And, uh, and he finally has become a wise person to some degree. But hang in there, gals. It'll, God has you there. Either way, he's going to turn it around for good and he's going to grow your character and he's going to change you through the hardships of a husband that's not worthy of you. But God was going to use it to your glory or use it to his glory to change you. Well, in verse 4, Now when David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing the sheep, David sent ten young men and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him, who lives in the prosperity, peace, or in the Hebrew, shalom. Shalom be to you. Shalom to your house. Shalom to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shears. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them. Nor was there anything missing from them in all the while that they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they'll tell you. Therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes. And for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David, and they waited. So David does everything right. He sends these ten good-looking young warrior men down there. They're very polite. They're very respectful. And they say, you know, we could show up to this uh, because... I'm sure you know about it, that we've been a very much a part of your success this year. A lot of the sheep that would have been lost to raiders or to lions or to wolves um, or that were lost because they got away uh, from the fold of the sheep, we were there. And so a lot of the abundance that you have, bigger than normal, it's because of our presence there in Mount Carmel in the mountain there where your sheep were grazing. And uh, we're not demanding anything. We're coming and whatever's on your heart, whatever you think that was worth, um, you do what you want to do to your son David. Very humbly, uh, he was asking here. Now again, you say, why didn't David just show up? Well, you know, 400, or actually at this time, 600 warriors showing up to your party could uh, sort of change the mood of the party. On top of that, don't forget when... David went to talk to his uh, good friend Ahithophel there, or excuse me, um, not Ahithophel, but um, Ahimelech there in the city of Nob. Uh, Saul heard about it, and he said, was David here? And yeah, he was here. You're a traitor. And he slaughtered everybody in the entire city. All the, the Jewish priests that lived there, he slaughtered them all. So for it to be, get around that David and his men went and partied with Nabal and, and his household would have meant for sure that Saul would have saw him as a traitor and killed him. So on a number of levels, David was protecting him and blessing him. He was being very polite. He was being very courteous. Uh, and he came to say, hey, what we did for you, there is a monetary value. You decide what that is. But notice in verse 10 what Nabal said and did. Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? I thought you didn't know him. How did you know his dad was Jesse? Um, There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. 
Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I've killed for my shears and give it to men when they do not know where they are from? So David's young men turned on their hills and went back, and they came and told him all these words. I mean, just common sense says, don't tick off 600 warriors living in a cave who live right up on the hill above you. I mean, that's just sort of common sense, isn't it? But there's none. He just totally denounces David. I have no idea who this guy is. Come on. David was the celebrity of Israel at this time. This little guy who had killed the giant. The people sang songs. Saul has killed his thousands. David his tens of thousands. He was well known. He had married the king's daughter and became the prince. I'm sure that would have been some royal wedding for this national hero. And to say now he has no idea who David is, is an absolute slam. And then he basically says he's a runaway slave. Oh, there's a lot of disgruntled slaves who run away from their masters. And what am I supposed to do? Feed them all? He's totally slamming David and speaking in a very harsh way. In Proverbs 18.11, it says, The rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his own esteem. There's something about wealth that causes you to think highly of yourself. Gives you a confidence and an arrogance and a pride often that shouldn't be there. And he makes a note that this guy is just arrogant and prideful here. In Proverbs 18.23, the poor man uses entries. He's patient and kind, and, but the rich man answers roughly. He's got some power. He feels secure in himself because of his wealth and he just is sort of rude. In Proverbs 28, 11, the rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor who has understanding searches him out. So rich people who have a high esteem of themselves and they've got this pride and this arrogance, they stop growing in character. The poor person, because of his humbled condition, is still growing in character. And so although he doesn't have the wealth this man has, he has far greater wisdom and he's able to uh, search things out far beyond this wise man or the rich man. Well, there in verse 13 of 1 Samuel 25, it says, Then David said to his men, Every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. All of the sudden, David just pops. He hears what this guy said, and David said, He's dead. Let's go right now. Now, this is an amazing thing. Because we see David, who is being chased by this madman Saul, accused of all kinds of horrible things, defamed in every way, and yet we see him with an incredible kindness and love and goodness and self-control. In no way does he have any kind of reactionary to throw a spear back at Saul or to chop off Saul's head when he had the opportunity to do so. And we look at David and say, man, what an example of Jesus Christ. What an amazing example of mercy and kindness he is. But then all of a sudden, the very next story, (laughs) the very next chapter, like a light switch, you click it the other way, and all of a sudden, 
This guy pushed David's buttons in a way Saul never did. And all of a sudden, he is on his high horse. He's ready to kill this guy, slaughter everybody in his house. And he is just unbelievably angry. In Proverbs 16.32, it says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. And boy, we... We see that here. David's got his mighty men with him and he's got this force. But you know what would be greater than the mighty men strapping on their swords? It would be David being slow to anger. You know it would be better than him going down and taking Nabal's little city there? It would be ruling over his spirit at that moment. In Proverbs 22, verse 24 and 25. Make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man, do not go lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. Boy, David would have set a pattern with these mighty men that would have undone himself, as well as when he became king, would have had this vicious, violent nation. He would have set the pattern of people not controlling themselves. But instead, uh, again, watch out who you hang around with. But in Proverbs uh, 25.28, it says there, Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls, which is an indefensible city that would be worth nothing. So a person who has no rule over his spirit is basically worthless. In James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, And slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And how much in this situation? And so we find David, this amazing man, all of a sudden triggered, in a way Saul didn't trigger him, to cause him to become this very ugly guy. This side of David we hadn't seen. On one side of David we saw this amazing guy with self-control and kindness and love in his heart. And then the next moment we see this evilness and this fiery spirit ready to go murder people. Have you ever seen anybody like that before? Like every day in the mirror? (laughs) It's amazing how some areas of our life God has just so strengthened us and changed us. And then there's other areas in the life. And boy, we have a lot of room to improve. It's not hypocrisy. It's just the weakness of man. It's just the reality of where we are. Well, why, why was David triggered in this way? I think for a couple of reasons. I think, one, that he had this high expectation from Nabal. I think he had this high expectation. You know, he's licking his lips for lamb chops here. He's thinking, man, you know, He's going to bless me with all the supplies and he's going to give us all these sheep all prepared and get ready, guys. Get your fork and knife, man. Those guys are going to be coming back anytime. We're going to be feasting. And he had this high expectation and that expectation was shattered. Guys, that's just the reality. And there's some lessons that David needs to learn about man. And maybe today you need to learn those lessons as well. The first lesson we need to learn about man is vain is the help of man. In Psalm 60, verse 11 and 12, it says this. Give us help from trouble, 
For the help of man is useless. In the old King James, it says, vain is the help of man. Through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. And so we need to understand that our help is going to come from the Lord, not from man. In Psalms 146, verse 3, it says, Do not put your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is, what? No help. The thing you'll discover in life, guys, is when you need man the most, is when man will fail you the greatest. And it's almost as if you could say, every time man's ever helped me in my entire lifetime, Forget it. But right now, in this instant, I need man's help. Whether it's your parents, or your kids, or your best friend, or your brothers and sisters in the Lord, or your spiritual leaders, your home fellowship leaders, your pastors. You will find, for whatever the reason, whether Satan hindered it, or whether uh, man in his weakness was too tired, too frail, too busy, too preoccupied with himself, the thousand and one reasons why he didn't come through for you, you will find if you are counting on the help of man at the time you needed man help the most, you will find most of the time that's when they'll fail you the greatest. And if you don't understand that now, you'll become a very bitter person. You'll become a very disappointed person. You'll become a very disillusioned person. And you'll end up Go building yourself a hut out in the middle of the woods saying, I never want to see anybody ever again. You get very depressed and suicidal. It's a very damning place to end up. And you need to look at man's help. And man does help. And man comes through for you and blesses you in many ways and many times. And it's wonderful. But look at man's help more like salt and pepper on the, on the food. Don't look for man's help like the steak and potatoes. And I've got an empty plate because man didn't show up. Guys, don't do that. And it's, you know what? 99% of the people who failed you, if they could go back and redo history, they would have been there for you. They weren't trying to spite you. They weren't trying to disappoint you. They weren't trying to hurt you. They just weren't aware of how desperate you were at how much their help would have meant to you. They just didn't realize it. And, and again, a lot of times, it's just the Lord. The Lord shut out all man's help. That you would be pushed between rock and the hard place to look to Him and Him alone. And by faith you would stand. In faith of God alone. It was going to be a great growing experience for you if you got your eyes off a of man and put them only upon the Lord. Secondly, you need to understand that you need to look to the Lord alone to be your help and your supply. Turn with me to Jeremiah 17. Hold your finger there in 1 Samuel and turn to Jeremiah. He's one of the major prophets, so just open to the middle of your Bible and then just turn a little tiny bit to the right and you should be able to find Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 17, there in verse 5. We there? This is why you need to read your Bibles at least once a year, so you can find big books of the Bible. 
not be so embarrassed next time. Only kidding. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. You guys there? Okay. We're in no hurry. Well, actually we are. Verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Listen. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. There's some people, again, that get so focused on the man's help that it so embitters them that they get mad at God. A lot of times people do that. They get so mad at people, they say, God, I hate you. And God's like, hey, what did I do? (laughs) I didn't fail you. It wasn't me that disappointed you. It wasn't me that let you down. But yet man in the bitterness of his heart turns from God. He shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. Because blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaves will be green. And he will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Aha. Even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. And so we realize, just like David, He's so righteous with Saul. And we look at this beautiful heart. We look at all the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. But then all of a sudden, there's this other area of David's life that he had not yet been tested in. Not a king, but a nobody. Who's not looking at him and honoring him as he should be honored. And boy, that just triggered David. And we see all the works of the flesh there. All the fruits of the Spirit toward Nabal are gone. There's no love or joy or patience or kindness or goodness or gentleness or self-control. No way. I'm going to go down and kill that guy and everybody in his household. Every innocent person who had no idea what Nabal said. He's going to slaughter them all. And so we need to understand that veins to help a man. We need to understand that our hope needs to be solely, completely in the Lord. And then thirdly, we need to refocus our motive of why we do what we do. And everything that we do, we should do it solely for the glory of God. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24, it says this, Whatever you do, do it heartily as what? To the Lord and what? Not to men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. So, We do want to bless men. So I'm not saying that motive is completely gone. We do want to bless people. Because the love of Christ is in our heart. And he loves man. So we love man and we want to bless him. But you will find that the pats on the back or the rewards that you receive from man will never equal out to the surrender of life, to the giving that you've given to and the the, the loss of yourself that you've given to man to bless him. You'll never get it back from man, no matter how much he gives you. It'll never satisfy. It'll never equal out. And really, we're not to look to that. So you're saying, man, I've taught Sunday school for 20 years and nobody even cares. I've gone to the prison for 45 years and nobody even recognized me for doing it. 
I've gone down to the orphanage and I gave tens of thousands of dollars and, and what do I get for it? You know what? Look to the Lord alone for your reward. Everything you did, you should have did just to bless his heart and to glorify him. And you know what God does often? He gives you zero reward on this earth because he's storing it all for time to come in heaven. But typically the Lord knows how to give us a little bit here and to keep most of it in heaven. But nevertheless, you need to look to the Lord and he is your rewarder. But David here is saying, man, do you know how many times we wanted lamb chops? Yeah, there's 600 men. Do you know how, how many guys that is to feed up here in this cave? Do you know how many times we went out to kill some deer and a couple wild goats and we didn't get anything? And the guy said, man, we're hungry, David. What should we do? Oh, we just got to be hungry tonight. We'll go hunting again tomorrow. Look, just right over the hill, man. I could just go take two sheep. That's nothing. You know how many sheep we've saved this year for that guy Nabal this year, David? We've saved at least a couple of dozen. I'm just saying I'm going to go grab a couple of them. That's nothing. And those sheep herders would be more than happy for us to have them. Nope. It's still stealing. They don't have the power to give them to us. They're Nabal sheep, not theirs. And we're not going to steal anything. Even if we go to bed hungry, we're not going to do it. And here's David saying, out of everything I did for this guy, I could have taken it and I didn't. And, and now this is the way I'm repaid. Well, you know what? He should have been doing everything he did for the Lord, period. Whether man rewarded him or not. But David's focus was on Nabal. He was looking to his reward from Nabal. He was looking to his supply for Nabal. He had this hope in Nabal's goodness back, reciprocated towards him. And all of that was failed and it triggered a button in David that he went from being this beautiful man of God to this ugly, evil, vengeful person. Well, there in verse 14 of 1 Samuel 25, Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we were accompanied by them when we were in the fields. They were like a wall to us, both by night and day, and all the time we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what you will do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a scoundrel that no one can speak to him. So Abigail was a listening ear and they trusted her. And they knew it wouldn't backlash upon them. But this is a life and death situation. This, this isn't, you know, better or best or, you know, from bad to worse. This is life and death situation. He just ticked off a bunch of hungry guys in a cave. that are a bunch of renegades, fugitives running from the law and they're hungry. And he didn't just not give them anything. He completely insulted him. And I'm coming to you because if I go to Nabal and I go over his head to you, Abigail... Um, he is really going to come unglued. So I didn't bother going to him. I came to you. So uh, if you want to refer it to him, you can. But you know what a scoundrel he is. He's just as stubborn as can be, and he's not going to relent. And man, something needs to be done. And notice in verse 18, 
Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five sheaves of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on the donkeys. This guy was wealthy. Go get a few things out of the pantry. (laughs) It's a whole grocery store. And she said to her servants, go on before me. See, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal because he probably would have told her no and been really upset with her. And so it was as she rode on the donkey that she went down under cover of the hill. And there were David and his men coming down towards her and she met him. So she's very smart about this. Here's David and these guys coming. They're furious. David's eyes are bulging and beet red and smoke coming out of his ears. And, you know, he's just thinking how many people he's going to murder and brutalize. And he's going to have pleasure in, you know, torturing that guy, Nabal, and killing him. And and all of a sudden, they come over this hill. And here's this beautiful woman on this donkey in front of him with this whole giant wagon load of supplies. And... They're shocked. They were stunned looking at this beautiful woman. So we might say she was stunningly beautiful. Could be. (laughs) Maybe that's where that comes from. And all of a sudden, he was halted there. And then what happened? David now had been saying in his heart, Surely in vain I've protected all this fellow has in the wilderness. So that nothing was missed all that belongs to him. And he's repaid me evil for good. May God do so and more also to the enemies of David. If I leave one male of all who belongs to him by morning light. So David has got the courtroom of his mind. He's he's the judge. He's the prosecutor. He's the jury. And he's going over in his head. You know pumping himself up to justify the evil he wants to do. And as he's justifying all of a sudden. er, There's this. Wagon in front of him with all the supplies and this beautiful woman there before him. And and he's just stopped in his tracks. Now in verse 23, now Abigail saw David. She dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David and bowed down to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, on me, my Lord, on me, let the iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak to your in your ears and hear the words of the maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is his game. little Brian Newberry translation there. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. So she gets off and she bows down and she says, Please listen to me. Let me talk to you. I'm not worthy, but let me talk to you. And it's all my fault. I should have been paying attention. I was back in the kitchen playing pinochle with all the gals. I should have been out there. And I should have noticed these ten guys showing up. I should have been the one, not Nabal. They should have been coming to me. And I could have dealt with it. I would have blessed you guys. And it was absolutely my fault. Please forgive me. Now, don't, don't let this foolish fool bring you down to his level. How many men that's happened to? Great men. They've allowed some smart aleck fool to get him in a fight at the Del Mar Fair. And they get put in the pokey for a few months. And they got a record now. Or they let some scoundrel at the supermarket 
when they were all tired and weary, get them all angry and broke out in a fist fight and they ended up handcuffed in the back of a police car. Or some neighbor throwing his garbage over the fence and, you know, he goes over and gives them a piece of his mind. They end up in a fight. And Guys, don't let fools bring you down to their foolish level. You've got to be above it. And this is what she's saying. We deal with this guy on a regular basis. <laughs> We've learned to cope with him. But you've got to understand that you're not dealing with an average fool. This guy's a professional fool. And, and I understand how he got to you, but you can't let this happen. And in verse 26, Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has men... Uh, has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand. Now then, let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. So, David, I'm on your side. And you're not, this isn't the first Nabal you've dealt with referring to Saul. Of course, she's not going to say that by name. But every Nabal out there who's against you, let them be so as this man. Just a fool who doesn't sing quality when they're looking at quality. Who doesn't appreciate a great leader like you when they should appreciate a great leader like you, but they don't because they're fools. In verse 27, And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, um, let, those, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. Because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Here we see that Abigail begins to prophesy. This is the very words later the Lord would speak to David after he became king and wanted to build the temple. God said, no, but I'm going to build you an enduring house that will last forever. And Abigail here is prophesying. She probably didn't even realize it. And then she says... You're the type of guy that's a righteous man. Evil's not found in you. You, you don't get sunk to this low level like I'm observing right now. And, and all the battles you fight because you're this righteous man are battles that only God has called you to. Radical. You wonder if Abigail wouldn't have been this deep woman of wisdom had she not been matched up with this foolish man. The soft answer turns away wrath. And I wonder her having to learn to deal with this fool to the 10th power has taught her wisdom to the 10th power. I wonder if she's had to learn in a degree that we would never even understand how to calm a fool down, how to bring this foolish man to some kind of sanity, at least in what he's doing in the immediate. And now for this very hour, for this very moment, all this wisdom is being used to be able to help David. Later on, when David would become king finally, the Philistines came up against him. And you know what David did? He went and he sought the Lord till he heard God's plan. And God said, go ahead and fight against him. The battle was over. The Philistines came up in the same valley, in the same place, exactly as before. Anybody would have said, let's just go down like we did last time. And, we, you know, we won last time. We'll win again. David didn't do it. 
He said, even though they're in the same valley, in the same place, exactly as they were before, what's your plan this time? And he waited, and guess what? God's plan was different. The battles that David fought were the battles of the Lord. And this evil is not found in you. In verse 29, yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life, referring to Saul. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. You're not a dead man with these dead type of attitudes. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out from the pocket of the sling. Get it? David. This guy who's chasing you, Saul, that's making you this tense, uptight person that I'm not used to seeing. Just like you slung a sling against the great giant. So this giant of a king, Saul, will be no different. You're not the man I'm looking at right now. This is not in character for you, David. You're this godly man of faith. You're the man that killed Goliath, who went to this giant of a guy who had all this armor and the sword and the spear and the javelin. And all you had was a a slingshot. But that great godly character of yours gave you victory and it'll give it to you time and time again. And in verse 30, and it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he's spoken concerning you, has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no regret to you nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt with my, with my Lord, remember your maidservant. So she comes and says, David, hands down, God's prophesied it. You know it. For some reason, you've forgotten it. But you're going to be king. And you're going to be king over this entire nation. And I don't want it to be when you're on the throne that you, when you think of Carmel, when you think of Caleb's household, this mighty man of faith, that you're going to look at the faces of these young men that you killed because they didn't give you some food when you wanted it and you deserved it. You're going to be ashamed. And I don't want you on the throne with this shame credited to your name. Don't be this person, David. Don't do it. And by the way, remember me. (laughs) What you're having to deal with once, I have to deal with on a daily basis. And maybe someday God will deliver me and... I'll be available. Like I said, a very wise woman. You know, there may be some of you here today that God's been dealing with you on that character issue. You're a King David, but you're, you've become a scoundrel as of late. You've been a person looking to the Lord, but your eyes haven't been on the Lord. They've been on man. And you've been disappointed And you're getting bitter and upset and your heart's hardening, even towards God because of man. God's here today to say, look at Abigail. Look at what an example of wisdom she was. She wasn't this bitter, hateful woman because she's been hanging out with a hateful, bitter man. Even though she's having to been around such a guy, She's kept her heart pure because her eyes have been upon the Lord. And how we need to get our eyes back on the Lord if they're not today. Let's all bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word right now. And we know and you've brought us to this day and this time and this passage because there's some things that you need to enscroll upon our hearts. 
And right now, just give God that opportunity. Lord, write your word upon my heart. There's some of you here today that are in a backslidden situation. You can remember back a time where you were the little guy of faith, the little woman of faith. But here you are now today, walking in the flesh, not living a life after the Spirit, but you're living a life after your own appetites, your own wants, your own desires. You're living in sin. And God wants to free you. He wants to free you up to be a man, a woman of God after his own heart. The first place has to come is repentance. You have to acknowledge your sin. You have to say, yes, I'm sinned. That's you here today. Just lift your hand right now saying, I've sinned. I'm not where I need to be. Just lift it up high. Christ hung high up on a cross for you. Lift it up. Yeah, there's many of you. Just go ahead. There's others too. Just lift your hand saying, that's me. I'm not where I need to be. I've sinned. Just lift it up. Keep it up. There's some of you here today that say, I need to get forgiven. I want my sins taken away. I want my guilt taken away. Just lift your hands up right now too. That's me. I want a fresh start. I need a fresh start. Just lift your hands up right now. Don't care what anybody else thinks. God bless you. number of others. I'm going to ask all those who have your hands lifted up, just stand up right now where you're at. God's going to use you this morning. Stand up. Stand up, humble yourself. There's some of you here today that, like these people here, you need to repent. You need to make a clear stand for the Lord today to say, you know what? No longer am I going to live my will, my ways, my desires. I'm going to live for the Lord from this point forward. The Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And that's what he's asking you to do right now. All of you are standing. I ask you just to get out of your seats and come forward and stand up here right now. Just go ahead. Come up forward. Humble yourself. Fall upon the rock and be broken. And God can lift you up. And let's all stand up right now together. And this is your chance right now. We're going to sing this song one time through. I think there's probably this many people again that need to get things right with God. There's others who haven't lifted their hands that are already making their way. It's great. Just come on forward. Right? Thank you, Lord, for touching so many hearts. Thank you, Lord. There's many others of you right now. Make your way out right now. We're going to sing this through one time. Come just as you are. Hear the Spirit call. Need your sins taken away. Christ loves you. He died for you. He rose again that you could be freed. Let Him free you today. Don't let your pride keep you from being freed. Be freed. Come receive. Is there any others? This is your chance right now. You hear the Lord knocking at the door of your heart. Let Him forgive your sin. Let Him write your name in the book of life. Let Him lift your burden from you. You don't have to stay in it. The only thing keeping you from freedom and life. God bless you. Praise God. The thing that's keeping you free right now is your pride, your stubbornness. You're amongst a family and friends. Every person in this room who's right with God at one time has made a walk just like this to say, you know what? I don't care what anybody else thinks. My schoolmates, my Friend from work, my neighbor, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I want to be right with God. I want to know that I know that I know that my name's written in the book of life, that I'm right with God. We're going to sing it, just that last part of the song here. This is your time. You've got about 30 seconds. Come right now. Come just as you are and hear the Spirit call.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Touching this heart right here. We're waiting. Lord, we thank you for so many hearts being touched here. And so they humbled themselves before you, Lord. Lift them up this morning. So you sent your word, heal them, God. Bring a complete healing this morning from all our navel ways, from all our foolishness and all our sin and all our wickedness in our heart, Lord, free us. Our hearts are so desperately deceitfully wicked, but you know it, Lord. And you took all our wickedness upon the cross and you died and rose again that we could have life. And we thank you. And those here this morning, just cry out to God from your heart. And you may not know how to pray, so I'm going to help you and just repeat these words and let meet them in deep in your heart. And God will receive you to himself. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that you love me. And I'm a sinner. I've done so wrong. But I know that Jesus Christ took all my sins upon the cross, upon himself, And he died and he rose again that I could have victory. By the blood of Christ, cleanse me and heal me. Be my Lord, my Savior. From this day forward, my life is going to be lived for you and you alone. In Jesus' name. And Lord, equip these in the word and in prayer. Help them to grow quickly that Satan doesn't have an advantage of taking away the seed that's been implanted and cause them to grow much in you. In Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Need a number of other leaders. Praise the Lord. Thank you, God. Need a number of other people to come and pray with these. God bless you and keep you. Can't encourage you enough to come back tonight. Spend time in the word, communion, and prayer. God bless you. Have a great day in the Lord. Bye-bye.